We want to start this episode by acknowledging the Gadigal and the Wongal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this very podcast. We also pay our deep respect to Elders past, present and future. Always was, always will be. This podcast may contain discussions about violence, drug use, and it's most definitely going to contain a lot of foul language. I'm sorry, Hey, what's up? Feel not. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, people in the universe. Hi. Hi. Hi, hello. Uh, what are we doing? We're doing a podcast. And we're doing comedians. Yeah. Have we done comedians before? We never have. This is uncharted waters. You would think it would be just shooting fish in a barrel, but I think we chose some annoyingly interesting people to do tonight. Yeah. Lots of feelings. I love comedians. I got a real boner for them. Ooh. Well, who likes who likes and and I mean like comedians in general. But if we're speaking men, don't you think that a lot of people you know they're like, what are you looking for in a partner of the of, you know of the male persuasion? And it would be like, or anyone actually, but like you'd be a sense of humor. Yeah, I fucking love a sense of humor. Can't make me laugh. Get out of here. I mean, a story for another time, but. The Louis C.K. boner I had a few years Ugh. ago was huge, huge. Yeah, he disappointed us all. Well, yeah, it's pretty disgusting now to think of all the imaginary sex I was having with this really gross person. Yeah, you were getting boners and so was he against yeah. other people's will. Oh, he's such a dick. I know. Maybe we'll do him one day. We'll see. We will. Everyone probably knows about that already. Anyway... Yeah. Let's talk about someone else everybody already knows about. You're going to kick this shit off? (laughs) Yeah, I am going to kick this shit off. Okay, can we just also acknowledge that, you know, often we obviously curate what we do. I don't know who Amber's doing today because we planned someone else, it didn't work out, and now I don't know. You didn't do anything bad. It was was quite boring. Yeah, I bet. Um, And then I chose someone else and... Maybe this is pretty boring too. <laughs> See how it goes. But look, I'm hoping to offend some people because you know who we're doing tonight? Jerry fucking Seinfeld. <gasps> I didn't know which way it was going to go. Yeah, look. Let me just begin by saying that Jerome Allen Seinfeld was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1954. No sleep till Brooklyn. Yeah. But then his family moved to Long Island when it was a wee baby um, and that's where he grew up. He's not a cool Brooklyn kid. He's like a, ew, Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't even know anything about it. <laughs> I know me I've seen it, I think, from afar maybe. Yeah. The ferry, the free ferry. Oh, yeah. Um, you can go and look at like the Statue of Liberty What's that? Is that Ellis Island? Oh, I just meant the Staten Island Ferry. Oh, you're getting all your ferries mixed up. But isn't that like Staten Island, you get off there to get to Long Island? 
I'm fucking wrong. I know I'm wrong. We need to do some real <laughs> introspection about our geography. Well, or we could pretend that, no, you know what? We could be truthful and be like, hi, I went to New York one time. I don't know fucking anything about it. I've been there three times and I should know better. I don't know. <laughs> Even then, you don't live there. I've just done a Google Maps. It's a pretty fucking Long Island. They have named it very well. <laughs> No, look, all I remember about the Staten Island Ferry is they're like, don't, like, you have to get off and get on again, but everyone was like, don't stay off. Oh. Just go straight back to the mainland, which isn't a mainland, is it? It's an island also, Manhattan Island. I wish I was never born. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's father. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kalman Seinfeld was a sign maker by trade. He worked for himself. Love it. Uh, but he was also a closet comedian who had collected his jokes while serving in World War II. He, like, saw action. He was for real a... Yeah, funny stuff. <laughs> but, like, uh, there's a great interview with that Mark Maron does, another of my favourite comedians, Um where he was telling Mark Maron about his dad and basically saying, like, he, like, collected jokes. Yeah, like, right. Like, he would write them down. Love this. And keep them, which is cute. It's like, very and, cute. and Jerry was like, it was sort of currency in the war, like, if you had all the good jokes. Anyway. Yeah. Ugh. Kalman was a Hungarian-Russian and his mother Betty was a Mitzhari Jewish person from Syria. Sorry if I said that wrong, but I'm a dumb whitey. Um, although Betty's uh, immigration papers said that she was Turkish because at the time Syria was under the rule of the Ottoman Empire. What a powerful empire it was. Yeah, enough to... Run people out of town. <laughs> I don't know. I fucking don't know anything about that either. Sorry. Um, little Jerry was only eight years old when he started, like, seriously studying comedy and he decided he wanted to be, like, I don't know, a fucking funny guy or whatever. But he did say that it was, like, a secret and he said of this secret comedian thing, quote, I was never funny around my parents, so when I told them I was going to be, <laughs> so when I told them I was going to be a comedian, it was like my gay closet moment. You yeah. don't, like you don't know this, but I'm funny. Um, but Surprise! He, <laughs> yeah, but his parents were super supportive of his choice. His dad was a bit of a rebel. He hated authority. That's why he worked for himself. He could never like work for other people. So he was actually super proud of little Jez. Um, and Jerry even said that his dad was probably a bit mad that he hadn't thought of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, after school, he went to Queens College, City University of New York. Never heard of it. No. Um, and he studied communications and theatre. And while he was there, he performed at Bud Friedman's Improv Club open nights um, and a small, well, maybe a couple of small, like, university productions where he, like, did comedy shit. 
Cool, cool. Uh, not long after he graduated in 1974. He's so old. How old is he then? So he was, he was born in, what did I just say, 54. So he's like 66. Is that right? I'm not very mathematically minded. Fifty-four for calculator. What did you say? I said sixty-six. You fucking nailed it, Jones. Boomba. Maths. Thank you. Yeah. I probably just read that somewhere and it stuck in my head. It's not really. I hope you have read it. We do a lot of research. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway. So, not long after he graduated in 1974, he performed at a club open mic night called Catch a Rising Star. Oh, my God. Which is hectic. Um, And in the audience was Rodney Wife Jokes Dangerfield. (laughs) Um, And he was really into Jerry and, like, loved Jerry's little set and he got a little spot on Rodney's HBO special, which is a... Really amazing start, yeah. In 1980, he was on a show called Benson, which I sort of like feel like I know was a show but probably never saw it. I'm familiar. Um, He had a small reoccurring role where he was a delivery boy who told jokes that no one wanted to hear. Story of my Um, life. And there was some kind of mad disagreement with him and the director and Jerry was fired uh, which sounds pretty juicy, but I couldn't find any information about this at all except that Jerry didn't even know that he'd actually been fired. He just thought they'd had a fight oh. and he showed up for a table read and there was no script for him. Oh, no, you can't sit with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then the next year in May in 1981, he appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and he fucking killed it. Nice. Carson loved it. Viewers loved it. And it cemented him as a late show regular on Carson and as well as on Shitbag Letterman's show. Like he was, he'd made, like he was doing it. Yeah. Um, Though it wasn't until 1987, six years later, um, that he got his first one hour special on HBO. Look, I don't think that six years. Really is a very long time to, like, get it going. But you would think that... With that kind of traction already, kind yeah. of... The locomotive's on the... It's going worked down. worked really hard. Yeah. And um, in the Marin podcast, he talks heaps about how, you know, all the other comedians that he knew at the time would just sort of sit around in clubs and talk shit and get pissed and just hang out Mm. and he wasn't interested in doing that. Like he made connections and stuff but he was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to fucking do this. Yeah, he was driven. He was really serious. He had a mad work ethic, you know. Yeah, good on him. Yeah, good on you, Jez. Paid off. Anyway, of course his HBO special was fucking great Um, and off the back of that he was asked to develop a sitcom and he chose his mate Larry David to develop it with him. Love him. And Seinfeld was born. Oh. Well, it was actually originally called the Seinfeld Chronicles. Interesting. But NBC made them change the name to avoid confusion with some 
show that they also had called The Marshall Chronicles, which no one has ever heard of. No. And it's just interesting to me that, like, (laughs) they had to change their name for a show that no one's ever heard of and Seinfeld's probably one of the most famous shows ever in the whole world. Iconic. It's crazy. Uh, The show first aired on the 5th of July, 1989, and by its third season was the most watched sitcom in America. Its final episode aired May 4th, 1998. They made nine seasons with a total of 180 episodes. It's fucking beloved. Controversial. I love that last episode. I think that final episode is so clever. I agree. I loved it. Because everyone was obviously just like, what the fuck? How are you going to end this? And it's just like, I think they did. I think that was such a good fucking plan. I agree. And I think. But I think some people really hated it. Well, yeah, but I loved it because I think the show always was kind of like a little bit in, not in the real world or something. Yeah. Like a little bit. So ridiculous and it's so removed, like. (laughs) But obviously, it's meant to be about real life, nothing stuff. But so I love that they ended it that way. And just the idea of like all all of those characters (laughs) coming back, characters you like hadn't thought about for years, and you're just like, oh, you know, the guy from the library, or (laughs) brilliant. I think it's very clever. Yeah. Anyway. I don't need to tell anyone anything about this show. If you haven't seen it, there's probably something wrong with you. Where have you been? Or you're a child, in which case you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. We swear constantly. <laughs> Unless you're Sunny O'Grady, shout out and hello, and I'm very sorry for all the swearing. Shout out. Maybe we'll meet one day. <laughs> it's my friend's kid who gets upset because I swear all the time. <laughs> Love you. Love you, kid. Um. Anyway... When the show finished up, Jerry decided to move back to New York City um, and continue his stand-up career instead of pursuing some dumb acting career like most successful television people do. Wait a second. So was it shot in L.A.? Well, the most, at first they were shooting it in New York and then... Got to Spano? Well, yeah, and then they moved to this big studio space in Sound L.A. Soundstage kind of thing, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it worked way better for them as well. Like it was going to work and just like getting it done. Everything was in a set anyway. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember when I first went to New York when I was a young buck of 19, but it was like they were really trying to push um, television and film to come back to the city to make it more money because it had all gone to LA because of the costs involved, but there was a real, like, push to to boost that that side of the economy. I just remember yeah. that. Well, it is kind of weird that they didn't shoot it on there. Like, it does seem strange. Yeah, it, I mean, like, but I think, yeah, it obviously wasn't financially viable to do it that way. Don't they even do that in the show when Jerry and George get, like, the sh- when they're trying to develop a TV show. And then they, I'm sure, like, that's part of it anyway, whatever. We'll just cut that out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he decided not to pursue some dumb acting career. Um, And let's face it, he ain't no Meryl Streep. 
no one's now. He was like half a beat away from cracking up with laughter. I reckon in most scenes of the show, he's like not an actor. No, and especially like I think, I don't know if they did this on a re- reunion or something, but near the end they were playing reels of bloopers. And then once you kind of caught what he looks like right before mm. he's about to completely break down into laughter, Absolutely. you were like, I recognise that and I've seen that countless times. He just constantly does that I face. love it. I like it too. So endearing. It is. Uh, he toured a lot in the beginning um, with stand-up. He made specials. He made a documentary called Comedian that's meant to be really good. I actually haven't seen it. Neither. Um, but it's supposed to be great. Um, he started in a few commercials, wrote several books, including a children's book, which is weird. But I did know that, yeah. He is like... He's got kids. Also, he like he's not like a sweary comedian. No. And it's all innuendo when they're talking about things that are underhanded or a bit smutty. And it's very clever the way he does it. Yeah. And he even talks about that like um, that... He feels like swearing in comedy is a bit of a cop out. Like, oh, sh- well. <laughs> fuck you, yeah, fuck you, can. <laughs> but like, <laughs> to make it harder for himself, like to really challenge himself, he was like, "How do you make shit funny without swearing?" Yeah. So I guess yeah, it's fine to do from children's books, whatever. Um, <laughs> the only fictional characters he's played since Seinfeld was when he voiced Barry B. Benson in B Movie. Seen it? You have? Yeah, I don't know why, why? but I have. I have no <laughs> idea. I can't recall. Maybe it was like nannying a child, well, or yeah, that's right. You probably, maybe not. I don't you know. Were just like I love Jerry. Seinfeld. Or maybe I was just like high, and it came on <laughs> television or something. Either way, totally reasonable. Totally. Um, all his television appearances uh, are pretty much just him playing himself. Yeah. On like 30 Rock, Inside Amy Schumer, Louis, ugh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, comedy shows. Yeah. Um, and he made a bunch of ads for an Australian bank called Greater Building Society, which I have never heard of that bank. And yet I do remember the ads. Yeah, I feel vague. They feel vaguely uh, like that feels familiar to me, but I couldn't. Well, I feel like. Is he just like walking around in white sneakers? Probably. (laughs) I feel like it's a bit of a fail. We remember the ad, but we have no idea what that bank was. Can't even fathom what he was paid for that. that A lot, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In 2012, he started a show, uh, sorry, a web series called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Um, And that was later bought by Netflix for something insane. They love him. I bet. They paid him $50 million for the rights for uh, Seinfeld. And I'm... 50 million? (laughs) I'm sorry, 500 million. Are you serious? Yes. $500 million doodles? I'm so sorry. Yes, $500 million. Fuck me running. They get... um, I can't even imagine. Well, the syndication for it, so like they used to make more. So every time the whole series ran, they got like $400 million or something. Is that right? (laughs) I don't know, but I feel like my eyes just got super big, like a like a, a bit sailor sick. moon. I maybe I mean maybe I wrote that down wrong. Have we've done this before? I'm just gonna have to Google it. 
I could have written it down wrong. But you were also right last time when you thought you were wrong because we did but check it. $500 million. I mean, Netflix, I guess I get that, but, like, if they just show the show. how And how many countries around the whole world play that show on some channel or another? Like, and who's paying them that money? Like, and also, who's their lawyer? Because well done you. Give yourself a pat on the bloody back. Yeah. Imagine if we got paid every time someone listened to our podcast. We'd have like $1,000. <laughs> Actually, we would have nearly $8,000. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was right. Standard. Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld each make... 400 million per syndication, per syndication cycle. What the fuck? So is that all of the series though? Like one to, what did you say, eight or nine? Yeah. Oh, my God. That is fucking cray. Every time they do that on like a normal TV. That's bananas. Fuck They're the Bezos of fucking Television. Which makes that right. Which means, really, Netflix got a bargain. Yeah, yeah, you're right. For 500 million for people to just continuously watch it. What a steal. (laughs) Holy fucking shit. Okay, fucking hell. I feel sick. Anyway, we're talking about comedians in cars getting coffee. So they, they started it as a web series. Netflix bought it probably for like... Two bajillion trillion dollars. I don't fucking know. Mm. Hundreds of millions, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to know what that show is about, it's um, it's about comedians in cars getting coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's good. And my favorite episodes are the one with Steve Martin because he's my boyfriend, mm. and Seth Rogen. Because Seth is super insanely starstruck and blabbering and Jerry's really mean to him and it's so cute. It's hilarious. Um, sorry, I'm still feeling really gross about how much money that... I, it's I, unfathomable. <laughs> He's been married to one Jessica Sklar since 1998. They have three kiddos. Um, and they started a charity together, which makes me feel slightly better about all that money. Thank God. Up to 2009, they donated more than $42 million worth of products to more than 125 anti-poverty programs. Um, the charity's called Good Plus Foundation or something. Interesting. Um, and their whole thing is about... Um, having products and support for families that are living in poverty. That's nice. Yeah, they also raise heaps of money through this super fancy gala that they put on every year and Jelly and Jerry usually does comedies at. That's cute. Um, I go. He's probably one of the most popular... What the fuck? He's probably one of the most popular comedians ever... I think definitely the richest. Um, he and his wife 
are worth nearly a billion dollars. Jesus Christ. <laughs> She's also super, like, cool, smart, amazing. But this podcast isn't about her. No, it's about Jerry. So tell me, Cara, what do you love about Jerry Seinfeld? I really love Jerry Seinfeld because <laughs> this is going to sound kind of corny, but um, my my father works really hard and we didn't spend loads of time together and we used to watch Seinfeld together. No. And... I used, like, when I was, you know, because it came out, I was pretty small. I didn't know what the fuck was going on on that show, to be fair. Like, the what's the one, you know, the one where they're avoiding masturbating? I didn't know what was going on. No. But, like, I just have this recollection of, like, sitting on my dad's lap when we watch Seinfeld together. I was quite, you know, I was quite small when it sort of was aired. Mm. And I just remember, like, sitting with my dad and, like, watching it, waiting for our, my, you know, my tireless mother to cook us dinner. <laughs> and, you know, dad with a VB and we just sit together. Oh, and, and the 90s. I remember, Could have been me. Yeah. And I remember him just finding it really funny and... My dad can be a pretty serious person, so it was really nice to see him in this jovial state. And I have this real, like, kind of um, nostalgic connotation with the show, I think. And we used to, like, watch it because it used to be on every night at 7 p.m. Yes, I was going to say, on Channel 10, 7 p.m. every day. I think it was, yeah. And that must have been, like, the second time around. No, I think that was, well, what I'm talking about was probably the first because I was quite young. It wasn't on every day when it first came out, Cara. All right. Well, maybe it was the second time around. But I I like how... So I really like that show, driving in, oh, Comedians Driving in Cars and Getting Coffee. Yeah, something like it's that. It's a long old title, but I really loved it. I love the one with Alec Baldwin. It's so oh. funny. I can't even remember it. Oh, my God, it was so good. And I like the one with Jay Leno because it's like these yeah. two meetings of these power comedy people. And also, <clears throat> my dad motor raced my whole life. Same with mine. He we knew that. Sort of, sorry. But, <laughs> but so watching that and then seeing this man that I used to watch with my dad growing up and then that, like, connection to Cara being in the pits yeah, yeah, yeah. on a Saturday and, you know, <laughs> son's beaming down on the tarmac. Oh, he's going to take the crown. <laughs> what do you say? Let the dogs out. And we got her license and she recently started saying let the dogs out when she goes, like, over 40 and I really enjoy it. <laughs> my partner is. Shout out to Ben. He started it. Oh, shout out, Ben. I didn't know that. You never said that. You yeah, stole that. It's way funnier when I'm. It's pretty going funny when you from say. From 40 to 60. It just, Let's let the dogs out. <sighs> that's it. It gives me so much joy. And I've actually <laughs> told people that have never met you about it because I just <laughs> sometimes stop and just laugh about it. But back to what we're saying, <sighs> I really I love cars. Um. I've had my little lady for some time. She's still running, <laughs> barely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I do. I, I just grew up in that kind sure, of environment. Jerry would be jealous. I think it would be appalled. <laughs> but seeing those those beautiful cars is just that. I know, you know, like who would have thought? But, yes, I love, 
I love motor vehicles and I love classic motor vehicles and that's what they use. And I really think it's so cool how he like picks a car that he thinks kind of represents that person. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. And he's, I feel like they're bougie. quite accurate as well. Mm, and yeah, he has a true. huge car collection and so does Jay Lano. But I think I just enjoyed every episode of that. Yeah, it's really good. I like binge it too because it's pretty short. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's and and love Larry David too in the background. Mm. It's fucking hilarious. Do you think Jerry's like a bit of a jerk though? Oh, a hundred percent. But I think that's kind of part of his shtick. Like he is an asshole to people on that show, mm. and it's like absolutely to me a result of being this invincible comedic powerhouse. Yeah, it's be hard for decades. Hard to not be arrogant. Yeah, and I do. I think he's totally arrogant, but yeah. there's something. Um, I've already said this word, but I'm just going to say it again. But there's something really endearing about it. Like it doesn't offend me as much as it would with someone else. It, I am super offended by it. Are you? I thought he was so rude to Mark Marin. Yeah, he's a real butthole. And Mark's trying to be nice. <laughs> and even in the beginning of the episode, you know how Mark Marin always does like a little. Post introduction, like, yeah. And he was like, I never really connected with him. <laughs> we never really got each other. Yeah, I don't think he'd be warm at all. No, he's kind of a douche. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I know that and I think I acknowledge that and I think and I Maybe can... from the show, too. He yeah, was... he's an asshole in Seinfeld. No, no, not from Seinfeld. Oh, he's an asshole in both of them. Cars, yeah. But he's just playing his genuine self. But he's still, <laughs> I think he's in, he's a butt nut in both of those shows. Yeah. But I th- also think that that contributes to the entertainment of it. Oh, uh, maybe. I'd like him to be a little humble and nice to people. I just don't think that's his steez. And I think mm. that that's kind of part of his whole persona. Do you really? Yeah. I don't think that he's that mean. He probably, maybe it's he more does. Just but, like, like I don't think he even knows how arrogant he is. But that's just my opinion. He doesn't have to know. He's got a billion dollars. Anyway. He could buy us all. He could start his own. He could just traffic people forever with that money. (laughs) He could own the world. I was super nervous about doing this episode because I was like, how am I going to put jokes in here? Like we're talking about (laughs) fucking comedians. Are you fucking kidding me? Mine is not funny. Prepare yourself. Anyway, let me just, let's get into some bad stuff. You ready? Mm. Do it. I mean, I take pleasure in this kind of stuff, but it's not that bad, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I really thought that he must have done terrible shit because he's such a prick. Yeah, but I guess the fact that he's quite a transparent prick has prepared me for this a bit more maybe. I also think he's such a rich prick that, we would never find out about no things. fucking way. <laughs> the internet. No, he he could buy the internet. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I'm going to stop saying things he could buy. All right. Look, in August 1998, he met his wife, who I mentioned earlier, Jessica Skla. Don't know how to pronounce it. Mm. Gorgeous. There's a lot of consonants in a row there. Uh, they met at a place called the Reebok Sports Club. And I want to know, can you get in there wearing Nikes? 
I like it. Also, he is like such a white sneaker man. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Um, I I guess it's a gym or something. Maybe it's a bar. It's probably a gym. I don't know. We, I wish it was a bar, but it's probably not. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Anyway, they started dating. But the very weird and very bad thing about this was that Jessica had just come home from a three-week honeymoon in Italy with her brand-new husband, Eric Nederlander. Oh, Eric. Mm-hmm. A very angry Eric told Page Six in 1998, quote, I was manipulated, misled and completely caught off guard by Jessica's infidelity. Jerry and Jessica have no respect for decent values. They deserve each other. He also referred to photos of the couple kissing as appalling. Ooh, Eric. Uh, he filed for divorce in October. So they these guys met in August. He finds out divorces are in October. Quite Jessica fun. and Jerry got married in December. Oh, my the next, Lord. The next year. Oh, okay. Um, of course, the tabloids loved this and for a while they were pretty aggressively hounded. Uh, Jessica did say that the marriage that she had with Eric was irreparably broken. Well, no shit, you broke it, babe. Oh, okay. Sorry, before she met Jerry. Well, then maybe you shouldn't have married him. Yeah, what do you mean irreparably broken on the three-week honeymoon? What? Oh, dear. It's so weird. Um, and that she also said that she'd already begun the breakup process when she met Jerry. I don't know. I don't really care, but... Also, they've been married now for 22 years, so... Maybe that was just meant to happen then. Yeah, it's fate, mate. Sorry, Eric. It's like that bit in High Fidelity when he realises the girl who cheated on him when they were 10 years old ended up marrying that guy. (laughs) It's like, what are you going to do? It was fucking meant to be. Yeah. So, look, that's my first point of irritation. Okay. My uh, second here, before all this happened, in 1993, Jerry was taking a little stroll through Central Park and he spotted a hottie and then he started chatting up this young, young woman named Shoshana Lowenstein and they began dating. That's a very Jewish name, isn't it? Yes, (laughs) The very weird and very bad thing about this was that Shosh was a 17-year-old schoolgirl. Oh, I'm was sorry. she in a uniform? Can I take that back? Can I say a 17-year-old school student? Okay. I assume she was not in her school uniform. Okay. I'm going to assume it. Mm. Jerry was 39. Mm. Shosh! <laughs> Get out of there. Mm. Um, And it was kind of a big deal when it happened, but nowhere near as much as I'd like to think that it would be now Mm. that happened. Um, At the time, Jerry went on his mate Howard Stern's radio show. Gosh. Stern gave him a lot of crap about it. Howard said, quote, 
So you sit in Central Park and have a candy bar on a string and pull it when the girls come along? Sick burn. Yeah, no, it's not that. I mean, come on, man. Um, and Seinfeld was flustered and insisted that, quote, she's not 17, definitely not. But she was. But she was. Um, and then Jerry went back on the show a month later and defensively said, quote, I didn't realise she was so young. This is the only girl I ever went out with who was that young. I wasn't dating her We just went to a restaurant and that was it. But then you did date her for four years, Jerry. What? She turned 18 not too long after they met and I think that he was trying to say there was 17, just went to a restaurant. 18, 18. (laughs) we're dating, we're boning, I'm allowed to date her. All right. And I don't know if I buy that shit But it's quite murky. She did turn 18 very soon after they met and part of me has a problem with those, like, laws. But another part is like, no, they need to be there. But it's murky. Yeah. For, You mean like the age of consent laws? Yeah. I don't know. Do you know what the age of consent is in New York? Well, in in New York it was 18 at At that that time. time. Yeah. Um, like, and if we look at the laws here, but he's almost, he's pushing third, um, forty. Sorry, yes, like, but that's, that's not. There's no law about the age gap, eighteen to one hundred. Yeah. Um, and so why get that centenarian? Okay. <laughs> I don't like agree if a sixteen-year-old has sex with her seventeen-year-old boyfriend mm. or the other way around. That that should be the same as if. A 30, a 40, a 50, a 60, a 70-year-old has sex with a 16-year-old. Yeah. But I I mean, I don't really know enough about this to really comment, but I was a 16-year-old one time mm. and I did... Four years ago. ...have relationships <laughs> with people who were way older than me and yeah. relationships with people who were my age... And there was a fucking difference there. Absolutely. <sighs> and it's like, of course, everyone in this case was like, she's very mature and those kind of things, mm-hmm. um, which is also what people said about Samantha Geimer and the whole Roman Polanski sexual assault. But Samantha was fucking 13 yeah, yeah. and he... Sexually assaulted her. She said he sexually assaulted her. Yeah. Um, Shoshona didn't say that. No. She was 17, which in my opinion is a fucking world away from being 13. Absolutely. And they were in a serious and committed relationship for years Mm. afterwards. Jerry's spoken multiple times about how they almost got married. And look, a four-year relationship for a showbiz guy... (laughs) is not nothing. Yeah. Um, She even transferred her degree from like George Washington University in Boston to UCLA so she could be with him when the show moved um, to LA. (sighs) And Jerry said about her, uh, I'm pretty sure it's about that point in the relationship, he said, quote, I'm not an idiot. Shoshana is a person, not an age. 
She's extremely bright. She's funny, sharp, very alert, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> um, we just get along. You what? can <laughs> You can hear the click. When I wasn't involved with Shoshana and was seeing several women, then it was awkward. You go out with one girl and the other sees you with her in the paper. That was uncomfortable. Now I'm not doing anything I'm uncomfortable with. My interest in her is very proper. He's got an interesting choice of words in he that does quote. Wish. It's super strange. But but I get what he's saying. Yeah. He's saying, I used to do this other thing that was really shitty. Yeah, 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 and you didn't call <laughs> me out for that. Yeah, and now I'm with this smart, beautiful... Alert. Alert woman. <laughs> um, you throw uh, a ball, she gets it straight away. <laughs> and all I want to do is be with her because she's great. I don't know. Um, she later said um, after years after they'd split up that she the reason that they split up was that she really missed New York and she was really worn out by the constant paparazzi attention and that's where the relationship ended. That's very fair. Yeah. Also, she was fucking young as shit. Don't yeah. get married. She could start over again. Easy. Um, and in an interview in 1999, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Goddess. Amen, was asked about the relationship and she said, quote, no, it doesn't make me cringe. When he was in that relationship, it was a happy one for him and she's a terribly nice person, so I was in favour of it. Come on, who cares? There wasn't anything wrong with it. I thought it was great. Anyway, they're not dating anymore if that gives other people any happiness. <laughs> I really, really enjoy her. Yeah, I do too. Um... So all of that's fairly tame, but I don't know. I don't see Jerry as a predator. No. As much as I wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Sorry, it's my job to ruin him for you, but... It's your job. um, Possibly, probably a bit immature at the time, probably a big dumb male. Shoshana Mm. was really hot. Yeah. Which is, I'm aware, is a pretty fucking shit thing to say. But she was. Yeah, I'm sure she was incredibly clever. And probably to him too. Well, obviously she must have been. I don't know her. All I can see is her beautiful face. Exactly. Um, And they were in a fucking real relationship. Shut the door on that one. (laughs) You heard it here first, kids. We're shutting the door. Do you like how we just made up my own catchphrase? Yeah. Like no one was like, that's hilarious. You should say that every episode. No, we can get it on a T-shirt for you. (laughs) Shut the door. (laughs) (laughs) All right, look, the last thing I'm going to talk about is just a few jokes from Seinfeld that look really bad now. All right. Um, Which I do not think will ruin Seinfeld or Jerry Seinfeld for anyone at all, but I think it's important to reflect back on things. Absolutely. And think about the past and all that shit. And also think about how far maybe we've come. And how far we haven't come because some of these things, when I was reading them, I was laughing at how funny it was in the show. And I was like, that's not funny. It's but that's, you know, that's part of being like retrospective, I guess, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, we've come so far. But then you can just be like, well, have we? Have you, Whitey, if you're still laughing at that? 
Anyway, let me tell you some stuff. Go on. Uh, I don't have the names for these episodes, so whatever. Sorry, Ram. Maybe I phoned it in a bit on this one. <laughs> I just watched bits that I liked, okay, and then bits that I thought. Might I respect be a bit your weird. honesty. Um, so there's an episode where George gets caught looking at his boss's 15 year old daughter's tits. Which is played by Denise Richards. Oh, that's my mum's man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Don't look her up, you freak. Can't find her. She freaks. doesn't believe in anything like that. Um, anyway, um, his defense is it was in his field of vision, and then like they all scheme up this whole scenario for Elaine to show her cleavage in front of his boss to say, "Look, men can't help but stare at tits." Thus ultimately justifying George gawking at a 15-year-old child. Okay. It's pretty gross. Not ideal. If it was just George being a cunt, I probably wouldn't even bother talking about it. Like, he's a horrible person, that's the point. But they were all in on on this one. Yeah, they're scheming. It's yucky. Agreed? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Then there's like this episode... (laughs) I'm I'm not sure if it's called like the Indian giver or some horrible thing like oh. that. Um and Jerry is trying to date this Native American woman. Mm-hmm. Um and she accuses him of being racist and then he can't stop like saying stupid racist things. He just can't help himself. Um and then he basically like calls her an Indian giver. Uh and yeah, no, no. Um, and then I read this whole thing uh, about someone confronting him, like now about that. Oh. Um, and Jerry said, like himself, like you could never do that today. And when he was asked if not being able to do those jokes, what those racist jokes, um, was ruining comedy culture, Jerry said, "Quote." One door closes, another opens. There's always a joke. You've just got to find it. Oh, which I really phew. like. Oh my that god! Just I just like, did not think it was going to go that way. <laughs> no, but I love that he said that. Yeah, just like you don't have to be racist. Yeah, we made a racist joke. We're not. We couldn't do that now. Yeah, you have to find a better way to do that. Yeah, and that's part of that. Well, like what I mean about an evolution kind of thing of that. Yeah. It's like of looking at these jokes. Yeah, now. and and just realizing that actually you don't need to do that to be funny. There's other ways to be funny that don't include degrading or like shitty behavior. And anyway, that was the only one I could find him like commenting on. Unfortunately, okay. um, but. There was more racism and this time towards Asian women in an episode uh, where there's like an issue with George's phone lines and they get crossed with this woman who Jerry decides is Chinese and Jerry tells Elaine he likes Asian women and Elaine's like, isn't that a bit racist? And then he's like, it's not racist if I like them. Mm. Which maybe everyone saw in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and then the woman turns out to be a white woman with the last name of Chang, which disappoints Jerry. Uh-huh. 
um, who continues to date her because, quote, she's still a woman after all. Wow. Um, And in this episode they managed to fetishise Asian women without having any Asian women actually in the show. I mean, wow. Um, And then... (laughs) Of course they... I mean, it's slightly impressive that they've managed to really offend and, you know... I'm going to get you another one on this next example. Okay. Because, uh, of course, they wouldn't and couldn't leave out black people from that no. kind of racism. So there's an episode... <laughs> no, of course not. ...where they can't figure out if Elaine's new boyfriend is black. Yeah, yeah, I remember this and one. And she asks all these annoying questions, like skirting around the real question of his heritage. And then she hears him playing hip-hop and sees all these African masks in his house. Okay. Um, so she's like, oh, he must be black. And at some point she calls this, like, black waitress <laughs> sister and then she says, oh, it's okay, my boyfriend's black. At which point he arrives and says he's actually white, but he had assumed that she was Hispanic because of her last name, Bennett. Bennett. <laughs> but he heard Bennis. Um. <laughs> oh. See, I'm laughing. I know, but it's a calam- it's a calamity yes. there is. That's um, the funny part. Anyway, she says she's not, and then they're like, so we're just a couple of white people. And again, somehow they managed to talk about interracial dating without actually having any characters of colour dating anyone on the show. Mm. It was quite impressive, again, the way they did that. Yeah. Um, And, of course, they were constantly homophobic. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, there was, like, this weird episode as well, like, it was super racist where, oh, see, I'm laughing. (laughs) It's not funny. Okay. I'm laughing. Maybe I'm laughing about just how, like, so weird it is. There's one where Kramer has these Japanese businessmen staying in his apartment and they sleep inside his drawers, which is just, like, such a stereotype racist comment on Japanese Tatami mats or? Being tiny. Oh, right. Like... That Japanese people just like live in tiny spaces. I don't know. I just find it a bit ew. It is ew. But you know, it was a cunty time. It definitely was. So, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, like, I definitely. You see, the thing is, to be honest, I haven't really rewatched a lot of Seinfeld. Like in the now times, I haven't. I haven't done that. Uh, and I, I, maybe it would be a good experience, experiment to watch some of the episodes, specifically the ones that you've referenced. Yeah. To gauge my feelings about it. Because I'm also, find all the names. It's like a laugh so track as well, you know, that's on there that we're no longer as immune to hearing. <laughs> yeah, totally. So the whole thing might just be completely fucking outdated. And when you hear people going, ah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like, relax. <laughs> I'm in my living room. Please tone it down a notch. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know if you've ruined him. I I would still watch his, uh, you know, coffee on trains or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Trains. Anyway. All right, great. 
I think we both agree he doesn't suck that bad. No, comparatively to some other people. He's a dickhead. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, I knew he was an arrogant asshole. Yeah, and that's why you love him. You love him. Yeah. Do you want to kiss him? Would you kiss him? No, no, no. Not even in the 90s? No. I have no, no attraction to him whatsoever. Gross. Okay, uh, we're going to have a break. Yep, we'll see you back shortly. I'm sorry, he sucks. We're back. We're back. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't have a fun intro. Boo. She's getting serious. I've thought it over for a few weeks. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of sadness. I have an HMS load of opinions. Well, it's good that I've had too many margaritas then. Absolutely. Because I'm going to make a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just want to be clear from the top, though, that these are my opinions. Like, you don't need to agree with me at all. That's what makes us all interesting, right? Mm hmm. Now, I've done a lot of research into this one. Uh, You know, we'll obviously, as always, link everything in the show notes. But I would like to thank and credit one particular source I found so, so helpful in the research and I felt like they were writing in a way that I related to so strongly. Our dear, wonderful friend, Sophie Hines, and her collaborator, Bianca Philiborn, both of whom are researchers from... The University of Melbourne. Yes. Shout out. Uh, also, if you want to follow these brilliant beings, their handles on Twitter are at Sophie Hines and at Snappy Alligator. Great name. Now let us begin. <sighs> I did want to share my favourite Tom Haverford quote from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> so we're going to start light. I love this. Zerts is what I call desserts. Tray trays or entrees. I call sandwiches, Sammy's, Sammy Doodles or Adam Sandler's. Air conditioners are cool glasses with a Z. I don't know where that came from. I call cakes big old cookies. I call noodles long ass rice. Fried chicken is fry fried chicky chicky. Chicken palm is chicky chicky palm palm. Chicken gachatori is chicky catch. I call eggs pre birds or future birds. Root beer is super water. Tortillas are bean blankies. And I call forks food rakes. Oh, Tom. <laughs> Love it. Also, I watched a lot of Parks and Recreation while I was writing this and I forgot who you mentioned Louis Wankersalt CK was in it. Yeah. He's pretty dumb in it, though. Yeah, he's annoying. I also I listen to a bunch of podcasts about Aziz and, oh, I should say, I'm doing Aziz Ansari. <laughs> but in some of the early ones he talks about Louis C.K. so positively, like he's kind of like an inspiration or a role model kind of thing. And I think he was for everybody. But it got me thinking like whether they speak now or whether Aziz has gone to Louis, like reached out for advice on how to deal with being a dick and it being made public kind of thing. Well, we'll see. Sure. I think it's just an hour, yeah. Okay. So, Aziz was born on February 23rd, 1983. He's a Pisces. <laughs> uh, and that makes him very creative and generous 
empathetic, emotional, impressionable and closed off. That's what Google told me. Yeah, look, he's a water sign, I would imagine. Mm. Yeah, of course. No, I, I'm not very good at it. I mean, I like, you know, I like it when people talk about it, but I don't really know Someone shit. Someone told me the other day that Aquarius is an air sign. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, that's yeah. stupid. <laughs> anyway. I need some logic behind this. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So Pisces could be a fucking fire sign. I have no idea. I just made that up. I don't either. But um, his parents, Fatima and Shukat, are both doctors. Maybe they've retired. I don't know, but it's unclear. In this economy, you know, maybe it's present tense. I don't know. He was also raised uh, in a Muslim household, but he's not a practicing Muslim. No. No. He was born in Columbia, South Carolina, but he grew up in a place called Bennettsville, South Carolina, which is a pretty small city. So like on the East Coast. Okay. Lower down. Uh, his parents immigrated to the US from Tamil Nadu, which is the southeastern state of mystical India. I was also conceived in Kashmir because I'm a Kashmiracle. <laughs> yes. Uh, he attended an oddly named school, Marlborough Academy. Marlborough? Yeah, I've been going there for at least 15 years. <laughs> uh, they they have this weird, like, weird fundraising initiative where the, 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 they have like a booster club, which is like the parents and friends or the PNC kind of thing here. But the cheerleaders paint these giant boulders and from in like bright oh, colours. That seems rude it's to nature. Very weird. And I think you can like hire these huge boulders. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What makes a party like a huge boulder painted in bright colours by cheerleaders? I mean, that sounds nice, but I prefer <laughs> just like boulder-coloured boulders. Yeah, I'm cool with a natch. Um, in his final year of high school, he went to a boarding school in South Carolina called Governor's School um, for Science and Mathematics, and evidently it's quite an elite school. Nerd. Tutu BBBs is. Then he headed to NYU, so that's a big deal. Um yeah, cool guy now. Specifically, the Stern School of Business. Oh, wow. Uh, he graduated the shit out of that in 2004 <laughs> with a Bachelor of Business majoring in marketing. That was like five years ago. Also, Brad got marketing. Our two last one, my two mm. last guys were marketing guys. I feel like to be a marketing guy, you've got to be like a bit of a liar. Charismatic. And charismatic, yeah. He was kicking educational goals. Mm. His uh, biggest inspiration seems to be Chris Rock from yeah. like interviews and shit. I see that. Yeah. In well, the way that like, he talks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silly, I was kind saying of voicey. To Amber earlier, <laughs> I found myself saying things like, In a weird voice. Yeah. Because I watch <laughs> so much of it and now I weirdly have done it like quite a few times today. Whilst Aziz was in college, he started getting a little more confidence in his comedic abilities and started doing some performing. You're doing a great little dance there, Amber. Thanks. Wish you could see it. Um, One of his frequented spots was the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre. So fame. So fame. And that was founded by some really great comedians, including... Amy Poehler. One of my true loves. Tina Fey. The best. That's all I know. Aziz then started hosting a comedy night by the name of Human Giant. 
Lame. Which eventually evolved into an MTV series. Same as her name. By the same name. Never heard of it. It did really good, actually. I'm not a big cable no. guy. <laughs> it had two seasons and it was actually optioned for a third. But the stars had other options. Oh, better options. And other ideas, you know. Um, so that was the end of that chapter. Dang. Throw scarf over shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, next is his played one, Tom Haverford, in the series. God damn, so good. Parks and Recreation. I love it. I feel like it's an anomaly for me. Like it's just really positive viewing. It is feel good love. The th- it just the theme song brings me joy. Everything you know, like I hear it, it and I'm good. like. Yeah. Even when they're mean, it doesn't feel that mean. No. Sorry, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) So that was in uh, June 2008 and the series ran for seven glorious seasons. R.I.P. I know. Um, In 2011, Aziz also starred in the the music video for Jay-Z and Kanye West classic Otis. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's brief but mighty. Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. Good? I did real thorough research for this one because I have, like I said... I'm Big feelings. Yeah, and I just wanted to know exactly how I felt about it, you know what I mean? So... Um, I feel like I know how I feel about it, and mm-hmm. I, but I also think that you're going to fuck me up. Maybe. Yeah. Next was Master of None. We spoke about this earlier. I thoroughly enjoyed this series. So good. It was so good. It's a Netflix originage. I watched it ages ago, actually, and then I started rewatching it again, doing this, and it's still really good. Mm. And Zari, along with Alan Yang, who also stars in the show, they created the series um, as is the protagonist. And it received a lot of praise and and some awards, including. Emmys and Golden Globes. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did really well. Oh, good for you, as is. Yeah. And his real life parents are in yes, the series. His dad is amazing. They're so delightful. Oh. They're so gorgeous. I love it. So in love. I have a real thing about that. Like the fact that in Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like Mac and Dee are actually married, and Charlie and the mm. waitress are actually married, and the waitress detests Charlie. And I just like, I think it's just so funny. It would be fun. It just gives it like some. Some other level to me. Yeah. I know. Uh, so is this one, one of those Golden Globe jobbies that I mentioned for best actor in a TV comedy. He's the first Asian American to win a Golden Globe. And Amazing. I, yeah, he's, he's, he's had a lot of firsts, like loads. Yeah. Which says a lot more about the work that needs to be done to take steps away from nepotism and maybe head a bit more towards equity of representation. Yeah. But hey... I feel like Netflix is trying really hard, sorry. Yeah, no. Totally. And they do okay. They could do better, fucking for sure, but... Yeah, but not Netflix specifically, but I'm just saying there's other things that he did which was a first and it's like this is too recent to be a first. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Anyway, we'll get back on track. So, um... After this, he wrote a book in 2015. It was called Modern Romance. Yes. 
he got a $3.5 million advance. I know that's chump change compared to what you were talking about. (laughs) But when I read this, I was like, wow. Also. (laughs) I just did it. That just was like an Aziz noise. (laughs) When I was um, a book buyer, that Mm. book came out. I was very excited to get it into the stores it was only released as a hardcover. It was something insane like 49 Australian dollars. Yeah. And we still sold a lot of copies of it. And like I was like, why? Why? Why isn't it coming out in paperback? Why? Yeah. Like this is a young people's marketable book. Exactly. Why aren't you releasing it? At a more at, affordable price point. Or just in a more standard format that's cheaper. Like, yeah. It's just so weird. Mm. And I don't think it came out in paperback in Australia for another like five years. I don't understand how all that shit works. You do, but I don't. No, I, that's very irregular. But the what it proves is that people were buying it at that high price point. Yeah, right. In the shitty hardback format. Okay. It's wild. Anyway, it was very boring. Bet you he treated himself after he got that three point five million. Treat yourself, everyone. Mm. His co-author was Eric Kleinenberg. Um, I read it. It was interesting. I know you've read it too, but it delves into what it's like to date now, or like what it was like to date five years ago when it was written. I mean, I read it at the time. You've read it post. As is, yeah, it's different. Controversy. What do uh, we call it? Uh, situation. I don't know. I've got a couple of words in it later. But um, yeah, it kind of like talks about the evolution of dating, like, yeah, you know, how our parents or grandparents used to get married, pick our mate, whatever, what it's like now, dating apps. It's, it's interesting. And also like dating in different cultures. I really found the uh, chapter about Japan really interesting because mm-hmm. that's still an ongoing. Yeah. Problem. Yeah. People aren't procreating, people aren't getting married, you know, population is declining more than ever. Yeah. So I found that pretty interesting. It wouldn't be a book that I would ordinarily read for sure, but, you know, it was all right. I think we read it in my book club? F- feminist book club, yeah. Cool. I think we did. Mary, did we? Mary, tell us. DM me. Um, we should go to the next one. Yeah, mate. Everyone out there should get a feminist book club. So good. Um, he did reference Woody Allen in the book, which you probably don't, and, and like Annie Hall, and it just gave me like a wee shiver down my spine. Like, oh, But that's a testament to you, my friend, because uh, ruined. He's had some <laughs> movie roles in films like The Rocker, 30 Minute Less, or 30 Minutes Less, apologies, Funny people, I love you, man. Get him to the Greek and this is the end. And he's been in some amazing television shows. Yeah. Like Flight of the Concords. He the was best. in Scrubs. The best. No, I didn't care about that one. No. But. When he was in Scrubs, they were very understanding. They were like, yeah, mate, like go. Go chase those dreams. Go and work on Parks and Rec and release them, I guess. But um, so when did that? And then he's also been in Bob's Burgers playing oh, Daryl. yes. And he had some moments on like SNL and a bunch of late night shows too. He's he's great. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Aziz has done real good doing stand-up. He's done some stand-up specials. He played some hectic venues. Like he played Madison Square fucking Garden. Mm. I and mean, very few comedians have 
done that. Yeah. You also played Carnegie Hall, which uh, Lou and I had an impromptu tour of when we were in New York, thanks to Lou's Bring You to Your Knees charms. She rules. It was great. We got to go like backstage pass just because of her sweet talking. Mm. His most recent special is his Enzari right now. Uh, directed and produced by Spike Jones, was nominated for a Grammy. I watched this special and I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Like he acknowledges what we're about to talk about in a way that frankly is infinitely better than others. <laughs> Looking at you, Louis C.K. Yeah. He's more bitter and twisted than a grapefruit mixed with eggplant skin. Or for those British listeners, aubergine skin. <laughs> As he loves food. He's been on David Chang's Ugly Delicious. It's like always oh. involved in everything he does, I think, which I like as well. It's one of my favourite shows, Ugly Delicious. Oh, yeah. But it creeps in and like obviously um, the second series oh. of Master of None. Italy. It's based in Italy and he's pasta, like... Pasta, pasta. Yeah, heavy focus. So good. It's on the delish cuisine. He also has a brother named Aniz, which I imagine would get pretty fucking confusing at times. His poor mother. As is and is. I know. Stop Get it. in here. <laughs> Break it up. Um, he's currently dating a Danish physicist named Serena Campbell. My people. Not physicist. Fi- no, not physics, just oh, the Danish part. Just the Danish. Yeah, the Danish part. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I've always thoroughly enjoyed as this is endearing comedy because that's what to me it is but both Parks and Recreation and Master of Done have provided me with a thoroughly entertaining content. Yes. But it's now time for you Amber Jones. I need you to tell me what it is that you love about as this Sorry. Well I mean you've covered a fair bit of it already with Parks and Rec. It's one, it's one of my two favourite shows. My other favourite show is Twin Peaks. Mm. You know, light and dark, mate. Are they at the same level? Yeah, I would say yes. Holy dooly. You, you cannot enjoy the light if you don't know the dark. 100%. I'm right there with you. I'm just, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm shocked because I know how much you love Twin Peaks. I would say that I would watch from like episode one, season one, to the last episode of Parks and Rec twice or thrice a year. Wow. Like, I normally skip the first season, to be fair. I think uh, it gets yeah. so the much first better. sucks. But like just a couple of days ago, we were, Ben and I were watching something and I said, do you, do you think it's too soon to start Parks and Rec again? And he was like, Yes. <laughs> we finished it, I would say, a couple of months ago, Amber. Just, let's just try something else. Do you know what I found really interesting about Parks and Rec that first season? I remember being like, I don't know if I really like this all that much. No, I, I, I didn't watch it for ages because I'd seen the first season. Yeah. I was like, that sucks. But I'm so curious as to what, the, what they did. Did they have a focus group? Did they listen to everything they had to say? And then, like, did they listen and then change it? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested because then it turned into something that I was just like, fuck yes. I think it just got kinder. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> Leslie was quite um, self-centred. I mean, she's always one-tracked, but in that first one she was sort of self-centred and Mm. then 
as she went along, she got really like caring and giving and that became her whole thing and then that smushed out through the show, I reckon. Yeah. That's my opinion. Anyway, I also loved Masters of None so master. Master. Of none so much. And when I was in New York City. Go on. Me and my beautiful friend Natalie um, went to. Shout out Nat. Shout out to Natalie. We went to. The Comedy Cellar, Mm -hmm. as you do when you're a tourist in New York. We got our tickets. We went there. Uh, I think we were hoping for Schumer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think it was like at the height of Amy Schumer. And you know who we got? (laughs) Fucking Aziz Ansari. Are you serious? I don't remember you telling me this. You must have. But like he did a set. And I couldn't fucking believe it. Whoa. And lots of people had said to us when we said we were going there, oh, you don't always get like a famous person or whatever. Oh, my God. But I was like, we're going to get someone amazing. I can just feel it in my borders. You saw some great shit on that trip. We fucking saw as is, as he was like gearing up for his next thing, his next tour. And then when I watched his special... Heaps of those jokes he'd tried out on us. And I felt really special. Anyway, I just love him. I think he did so much amazing shit for for South Asian men. Uh, they're so n- misrepresented, not rem- represented at all. Exactly. That's like what media. I was saying like, about the first, you know. You do not see that ever. Mm. And it's super gross. It is. Especially as a romantic lead. Uh, yeah. Um, and I love that he brought that into the fucking world. Yeah, he did. He represented himself. He represented his culture in a way that wasn't just like India, India, family, you know, fucking, what's it called? Bollywood? No. <laughs> yeah, there's no fucking Bollywood. There's no arranged marriages it's a, it's not like. You but then know? it like acknowledges arranged marriages. Like sure, he talks about his parents. So it's then it's but like it, talking about these but generational. It, but that's not what the whole story is. No, 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 no. But it's still harking back to like, um, you know, traditional norms and the fact that he, you know, his parents emigrated to a country or like depending on which show you're talking about. Anyway, look, I have opinions on what happened, which are complicated. And I've never really sorted them out. Fair. I just That's kind how of, I feel. I just kind of got to a place and went, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and see what happens to my feelings. And I guess I just was really lazy about it. Like I, I was lazy about him, not about the subject. Yeah. About what happened. I was very excited that people were talking about the subject. Anyway, we're going to get into this, but. But I get, I totally get what you mean. And I think that we both do that. We both do that. That's, you know, that's kind of the premise in a way because we do have these like little, little blinders on where we're not actually looking. Yeah, but I, in this case, I think it's different and it's more complicated than that. It's very complicated and that's what I felt and that's how I felt doing this. Because I, anyway. Can, let's go, let's discuss. Hopefully we can have an argument and sort my brain out. So let's get into it. 
an article that was published on a website called babe.net in January 2018, written by a journalist named Katie Way, exposed allegations made by a woman against Aziz Ansari. I will refer to the woman from this article as Grace. That's the pseudonym they used in the article and her true identity has never been revealed. So Grace and Aziz, they met at an Emmy Awards after party. They, um, it must have been, I, I actually I could looked up these different events, so that must have been on the 18th of September 2017. It must have been the year before. Um, they both had the same analogue camera. They had a lot of chemistry between them and then Grace gave Aziz her phone number. Grace flew home to New York. She got a text from Aziz and they arranged to go on a date on September 26th. Actually, I don't think I wrote about this, but the reason that the article came out in January, I might have written this, was because he was wearing a Time's Up pin at the Golden Globes. Okay. And she was like, what the fuck? That's a big preface. Sorry, but I just remembered that. Okay. Um, so Grace meets Aziz at his apartment. They head to dinner. They have some lobster rolls. She took a photo of this. I've seen the photo. It looks like a good lobster roll. Then Grace said he was like really abrupt when finishing dinner. Like he wanted to leave. Uh, he asked for the check before she had kind of even finished her drink, which is pretty rude indeed. Yes. Um, they go back to his apartment and in a matter of moments begins to kind of kiss her and more. Grace comments that it all happened very, very quickly and she asked him to slow down. The article, the, the article goes into like it goes into a lot of detail, like explicit detail about the actual kind of sexual interactions. And I'm going to tell you some of the details that I feel are important for the purpose of this podcast. Mm-hmm. But if yeah, if you want to go read this, it's available. But I really don't want to go into all of it. Grace said he kept shoving his fingers in her mouth and then putting those fingers inside her. And I, I'm certainly not a prude. But after knowing someone for a few hours, you might want to tread a little bit lighter than that because that might not be their jam. Yes. Like, that, you know, that's a... That's, How sexual was their conversation over dinner? Not at all. They were talking about a big future project he yeah, was doing. Yeah, that's weird. So Grace certainly didn't enjoy it. She also said in the article, he probably moved my hand to his dicks five to seven times and that in itself is a pretty clear communication that she doesn't want to touch a dick right now because she's moving it away and you keep, you keep moving it back. Not only that, she kept moving like physically away from him around the apartment and in her account she kind of likened it to this game. Uh. Like she kept moving locations and he kept going back. And now, and let me just point out that this is not an article written by Grace. This is an article written by Katie. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this is one account. He made it really clear he wanted to have sex. He said it multiple times in various ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Grace responded to this by saying, next time. And he said, oh, you mean a second date? And she says, oh, yeah, Sure. And he goes, well, if I poured you another glass of wine now, would it count as our second date? And then he pours her a glass. Um, This was like a bit of a kicker for me because Grace at one point said, I don't want to feel forced because then I'll hate you and I'd rather not hate you. That's very clear to me. 
then it's kind of it's kind of like he's getting it at this stage, and um, they go sit on the couch, and then he starts pointing to his goods, suggesting that Grace give him head, and she does. And that's an aspect that people who are all up in arms about this hold on to. They really do. Um, Honestly, when you were just saying that, I would have just left. But that's my personal thing. I was not there. Mm-hmm. And I've never been in a situation with Aziz Ansari or a famous person. She was 22 as well. Yeah. So if I look back when I was 22. I would have stayed. Yeah. You're right. Also then after she did or during, I'm not, you know, I don't know, but um, he said, doesn't look like you hate me. But he could have said, doesn't look like you hate me. You know, I don't know the tone. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. But also it's just like, well. And then he led her to like this big mirror and he kind of like forcefully pushed his naked body against her and there's a lot more to that but I really prefer not to explain it. Um yeah, and it's just like she's facing the mirror and looking at herself in this position, which to mm. me is just like really horrid. Um, after this, Grace said no. She said like, no, I don't want to do this. And then they headed back to the couch and he said something like, let's have fun with our clothes on. And like again, again he tries it on. Like it's just it, it, the article makes it out to be like for me this like relentless pushing, pushing, pushing. She'd had enough anyway. She said, I'm going to get a car. Um, the Babe.net article comments that Aziz's behaviour is similar to a horny, rough, entitled 18-year-old. But he was 34. Mm. Yeah, so she leaves. He ends up being like, no, 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 I'll call you a car. And then he told, like, he gave her a pseudonym which relates to something from Masters of None. I think it's like Essence or something, like a name he uses. Anyway, weird. But the following day, the thing is, so then Aziz texted Grace saying how it was really fun meeting her last night. And Grace responded with a very long text to Aziz and there's screenshots and stuff and they've verified the number. But like part of it was I just want to take this moment to make you aware of your behaviour and how uneasy it made me. And 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 Zari responded and he said, clearly I misread things in the moment and I'm truly sorry. He said a bit more than that, but he did say that at the time. And so that's the story pretty much. There's, a, there's more to it, but that's the story in a nutshell. Yeah. Like I said, I referred to a brilliant paper written by Sophie Hines and Bianca Philiborn uh, and in their paper it states... Reference to physical assault, assault and restraint reinforces the rape myth that sexual violence requires the use of overt physical force and violence. And this resonated with me a lot because for fuck's sake, rape in, and I know that and I'm not saying they're married, but rape in a marriage between a man and a woman wasn't even deemed illegal in the state we live in until yeah. 1981. And it's still illegal, sorry, it's still legal or completely unacknowledged in a court of law in more than 45 countries. So, yeah. I can't remember what episode it was. I think it might have been Led Zeppelin about like male sexual desire just overcoming like any logical thought or sense or caring or understanding or fucking respect. 
again, I'm not saying this is what this is, but I feel like that sexual motivation was completely misleading him into a direction that he shouldn't have been going into. Yeah. Um, we need to just make this idea of just accepting coercion and manipulation and in many cases more than that as completely fucking abnormal because it's not normal and it's completely unacceptable. It's actually very normal. I know, no, but, but I know it's it is. it's still it... completely unacceptable. I feel like I've been in that situation with almost every boyfriend I've had. I know. Let alone randos that I've slept with. There was one of the podcasts I listened to, and I, I can't remember which one it was, so I'm sorry, but we will link all of the podcasts I listened to and you can just binge them. But um, they spoke about the way we are brought up or the way I often was told how boys might be, like, cruel and mean to you to show that they're actually, like, really into you and just relax and, like, that's just how they express their, their fond feelings for you and, like, it's like, fuck off. Yeah. How about learn how to deal with your emotions in a way that is less destructive? Like, maybe that would be cool. I also think that, like, men get this thing drilled into their heads when they're teenagers that, like, you're... And women get it drilled into their heads that men have this, that their sexual desire is so strong. Absolutely. There's nothing that can stop it and they'll do anything and it... It's like, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's so unfair as well. You don't have autonomy. Your brain is the boss. You know right from wrong. Mm. You can see when someone, you can read cues. You choose not to read those cues from somebody. Absolutely. Because in the moment, that's what you want. You can get it. Yeah. I also find there's a problem with a comedian who's kind of built this persona around being aware and being a feminist mm. while simultaneously capitalising on that and then this happened and there's like this level of hypocrisy that makes me so mad. Yeah. And even he said, Aziz said, I thought it was interesting that this was happening yet so many people are unaware of it. And the problem is people, he's talking about sexism essentially, but he says the problem is people aren't talking about it. What I've learned as a guy is to just ask women questions and listen to what they have to say. <laughs> Go to your group of female friends and ask them about times they've experienced sexism at their job and you'll get blown away by the things they tell you. Yes. You fucking will as well. And take his advice. You will. Oh, God. He wrote... An entire fucking book about dating. Mm. In his Netflix special, the most recent one, have you watched that one? I have. Okay. It starts out super somber. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's exactly the, the get-go. He acknowledged how this whole situation with Grace made him feel. He says, there's times I felt scared, there's times I felt humiliated. There's times I felt embarrassed and ultimately I just felt terrible that this person felt this way. But he's, ne he's never publicly apologised, but maybe we don't need that. Maybe that's... 
Well, <laughs> I don't know. But he hasn't publicly, he did in that text, like I messaged that text, he yeah. did apologise in that to, directly to this person. Um, but the special isn't about her. It's about, the whole special is about, he's talking about how he got to the point of going, what I've done, I've made this person really uncomfortable and, and that's what I know now. Totally. This is, again, this is my opinion, this is the way I feel, that he talks about how he spoke to some guy who said that it made, made him, like, rethink every date he's ever been on. And f- when I watch that, I kind of feel like the way he does this is self-aggrandizing. I, I think... Like he's like, yeah. No, it's like if I can just help one guy to not be a complete nut of fuckwit, it makes it all worthwhile. Like it's like some kind of fucked, like... like, thank God I made this woman so uncomfortable and... It's this weird outreach don't be a douche lord program or something. I just found that weird. I don't know. I don't think so. That he's like... This guy told me that he rethought. I, I don't know. I didn't like that. That's I how did I like, felt. Well, I really liked that. No, I didn't. And I hope that every single maybe I'm guy, cynical. Well, I hope that every single guy who watched that, who you know, maybe saw the articles, was like, "What a load of shit, feminist blah," watched that, thinking they were going to get something, mm. and and what they got was. Yeah, maybe you should fucking think about every day you've ever been on and the behaviour that you've exhibited towards women who might not have been super into it. Yeah, I mean, like, given what we generally receive from men with allegations against them, which would be fucking fuck all, it's something. But to me, the bar's pretty low. It's way too low. You can't have a game of limbo under that what bar. What do you think he should have done? I don't know what he should have done, but I am here to criticise him. That's literally my <laughs> whole fucking role. I just think we're, like, scraping the dirt with the bar of, I like... I don't think so. I think generally we are. But there's also a pretty large constituency who felt that this particular circumstance with Grace shouldn't have been included or associated with the Me Too movement. Oh, no, I don't think that. Because it didn't happen in a workplace. Oh, fuck off. But my understanding of the Me Too movement was never that unless the harassment you've experienced falls into a specific category, it's not counted. I've never heard of that in my entire life. No, I was going to ask if that's your understanding, but I know, but like... Not my understanding. That is not what I thought. When everybody was... Sharing me too. Yeah, I was not talking about my workplace. I was not talking about my workplace. No. People said it was like taking things way too far. And it was like, you know. No. But and then and all people said, oh, she's just complaining about bad sex. And they like fucking gunned for this woman. The shit online is it some really malicious. Stuff, frankly, was said about this woman and just fuck right off with your counterproductive bullshit, frankly. Yeah. If it, you know, I can understand this brings up a lot of other issues rather than the overt things like a Harvey Weinstein. I actually think, honestly, that I honestly think that it's the most important 
conversation of the Me Too movement because... It's the underlying bubbling away. Yes. This is men who respect and care about women apparently and yeah. or who, who really think that they do and who are in relationships with women who love them and that they love. You know, this is for them to mm. fucking contemplate. Yeah. Obviously taking down wine stains is very important. Yeah. It's a domino. (laughs) But to stop it happening in the future, you have to start at Aziz, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. You have to educate Aziz-level people, especially left-leaning men. That kind of guy who women trust because he's, you know, on your side about abortion and he votes the way you vote and... His morals and ethics seem in line with yours and that's why you go on a fucking date with him. And then when that happens, you're like, wow, yeah. <laughs> this is men, I guess, then. Yeah, and she said to him on the night, you're just like every other guy, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. So, And he's I, like, what do you mean? And it was like... Well, that's why it's important because those men are the most dangerous men in some ways not because they, I mean, they, not that they have power, but that they populate the fucking, well, they populate our world. Yeah. And it's important that they know that those tiny actions are also incredibly damaging. It's a more important conversation for men to actually be thinking, because they can be like, oh, well, I would, they could never relate to Weinstein is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, I would never force a woman to sleep with me to work in my shop (laughs) or my business or whatever the fuck they do. Yeah. But they can totally say, oh, I would probably go on a date with someone that I'd met and had a connection with and then, like, assumed that we were going to have sex and that was a bit shit. Yeah. And I probably could have dealt with that better. Finally, a relatable Me Too moment for men to understand what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that took a long time for me to say a fairly simple thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that came up a lot in the articles that I read, but I thought this too, like as I was reading them throughout the researching, where is Grace? Like... How the fuck is she doing? Yeah, I, I've often thought that. Yeah. It would be so bananas to have kept your anonymity and essentially be a fly on the wall at your own public trial by media. Yeah. Because that's what's happened. Okay, we're about to wind up, but this is Jerry Springer's thought of the day. <laughs> the reality is that if you're a man in this world, you have made a woman feel uncomfortable or intimidated because we live in two vastly different worlds. You and I, Amber, we live in a world where we survive sexual assault and that doesn't go away. We live in a world where we have to take the long, well-lit routes to our destination. We have to put our keys between our fingers in a constant state of anticipation of what hideous and frightening scenario could be lurking around the next corner. 
Part of living in two different worlds is an abundance of miscommunication and misreading situations. And honestly, there are countless times in my life where I just shut up and closed my eyes and didn't communicate my fear or discomfort to not unsettle a situation. Because that can be really fucking difficult to do. There's a lot of variables, one of which is what's going to happen if I stop this and speak up? Like, will I be in danger? And I'm not saying that that was the case in this scenario. That is not what I'm saying, just to be clear. But also, like, when you're conditioned from a very young age to be subservient and knowing full well from seeing it over and over again that there are two sets of rules, one for our world and one for men's. And that's the way it is. Like, how many times have you felt like you kind of like somebody and they're asking for something sexual and you think, I'm just going to do it because I want to maintain and encourage their interest Mm. in me, right? Or how many times have you been pushed into doing something you initially just weren't going to do? Like that pressure, how many times? Countless. Yeah. It's a deep systematic fucking problem and it's way bigger than Aziz. I'm not even really mad at Aziz. I'm 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 mad at this systemic issue. Yeah. It's so ingrained in our culture through films, through pop culture, through fucking porn. 100%. Just as teenage girls are conditioned to know that they're expected to get blowies, but of course they would never expect or ask for reciprocation. No, no, never. No. People also said, like, Grace wanted attention and that is dumb because, like we said, she's used a pseudonym and since the beginning has never publicly exposed her identity. Attention. What the (laughs) fuck does that even mean? For what? That's the thing. What has she got to gain? She was ripped apart (laughs) by the media. Without... Even having her identity exposed. Yeah. Oh, man. Why would she? Why, like, given the backlash she's received? And I was talking to my friends, like, shout out Tom and Steph, and we discussed situational blindness and what that means and was this the case in this scenario? To an extent, I think it was. Mm. I do. Um, And Tom kind of broke it down into three categories and he said, you have like fellas who are aware of the situation, respect the other person and stop. And then you have some who are kind of like vaguely aware but unsure and a bit confused. And then you just have the guys who are aware and continue anyway, ignoring cues and continue on. Which I thought was a very interesting conversation. I really wanted to get... um, male perspective just before I was doing this. But I really found this one very challenging. And yes, we're talking about Aziz Ansari, but for me this is representative of a much, much bigger issue. And the way forward is discussions. Totally. Communication, education. It's like I feel like, honestly, I feel like that's a fucking answer to a lot of problems. Obviously, yes. But... Yeah, like, I don't know. You sent me a really great story recently from uh, Clementine Ford about, like, how much women can take and yet we still continue to love men. (laughs) And it's, 
you know, like I really, I want to have like faith in the future and I actually, I genuinely, I appreciate him doing what he did on that special and I know I sounded so fucking cynical about it, but it was because I was reading it in the light of researching all of this and having all the emotions. But I appreciate the fact that he even has acknowledged it because I think that takes a lot of fucking guts, you know. And I can imagine how humiliating and, and... this is a real aside, but that would have been humiliating for him. He was completely exposed. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but what I'm saying is, you know, things have happened where I've been exposed and it's been very hurtful and painful but in a completely different way. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I have that empathy for I guess because that. we know him from Master of None, it's almost like the story plays out like an episode or something. Like you can see it. They're like vibing. They have a meet cute about this camera. Yeah. And then, you know. It is very much like that. In my head it all plays out in that apartment that he's in in the show. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it any less hideous. No. But like, (laughs) I don't know. Fuck. I don't know what I'm trying to say there but like. That's what I see. I see. No, it's interesting, totally, because this is the kind of contract of the of the person that he is that we have in our mind because we've watched him play out in a very, like, realistic kind of Yeah, but and, and that even seems, like, totally like a thing he would yeah, they meet, tackle on they the show, meet though, though, even. Like, Emmy's after party and they have the same camera from the 1980s. Yeah. What? Whoa. And then, you know... Then he tackles this weird, awkward situation where he wants to fuck and she doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. What a fun thing we've done. I think we should, maybe we should finish with a little high. I mean, I think a fun high is uh, one of our incredible friends. Oh. Such a fucking angel. Zoe. Zozo. She has been going through a fucking journey. Yeah. And it's the end now. And it's the end. And we're so fucking proud of you and we love you so much. Yeah. And we just want to say fuck cancer. Absolutely. And yay fuck for, you, cancer. And yay for boobies. Yay for boobs. And we're real proud of you and we love you. I'm going to cry again. <laughs> oh, no. We love you, Zoe. We have used multiple sources in the research for this podcast. All of these can be found in the show notes. This podcast was written by Kara Nissen and Amber Jones with music and engineering by Morgan Jones. DJ Morgs! <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have laughed. I like it.